0: And welcome back in your corner. We are uh, we're underway here. You want to reach out? Simple help at inyourcorner.ca. As a matter of fact, we're going to get through a ton of emails on today's show because they pile up, and we'd like to uh, respond and uh, get to some of these questions and problems that people have and relay through emails. So we'll get to that to all through the show today. Uh, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to reach out any Get a hold of James or Savannah, or a member of the team, and also my com, which I think is where you're going to go. Uh, right
1: off the top, Savan, with the other uh, week that was, I know you got a couple issues uh, you wanted to talk about. What's happening? Okay, John. Well, let's just start, uh, again, as uh, you just said, mydisabilityquestions.com. Here's a question that was posted by Vivian from Milton. Uh, and again, for listeners out there, if you have a question about your long-term disability claim or a friend's disability claim or a colleague's or a family member and you just want answers or you want to tell them where to get answers for free, Go to MyDisabilityQuestions.com, post your question, and I will answer that question for free within minutes. So here's a question from Vivian. She says, I was put under a rehab program for counseling sessions for a certain number of weeks where I was to be assessed if I was ready to go back to work. I finished the sessions and I am not ready to go back to work. I received a phone call from my insurance company indicating that I have to attend occupational therapy now in addition to my current counseling sessions to help the recovery. They told me that I have a contractual obligation to follow what they want me to do. And I said that I need to speak with my doctor first. What are my rights? I do not want to take uh, the occupational uh, therapy sessions. So I'm going to focus on a specific line in her email. She says uh, that she was told by the adjuster that she has a contractual obligation to follow what they want her to do. Now, this is really important. People need to understand, our listeners need to understand, John, that when you are applying or getting benefits through an LTD policy, you're getting those benefits through a contract of insurance. It's a contract between you and the insurance company and that contract sets out your obligation as a claimant or a potential claimant and the obligations of the insurance company. So just like you expect them to pay you benefits, they expect you to do certain things, again, things that are grounded in the contract. Now. If they tell you that to, go to, you know, to, 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 to get these benefits, you have to go jump off of a roof, well, you're not going to do that. And frankly, if you were to look in the policy, you're not going to see a provision that says that you have to jump off a roof in order to get benefits. So what the insurance company, I think, here is referring to is they're referring to something that is quite standard in the industry, which is that they require you to take or to do reasonable treatments. But what she has a concern with is that she wants to speak with her doctor first, and that's right. also very reasonable to do. Now, leaving aside the fact that perhaps these occupational therapy sessions may actually help her, I don't see anything wrong with her going to her doctor and getting her doctor's advice and recommendations as to whether or not she should proceed with occupational therapy sessions. If her doctor says, yes, go ahead and do those, she should do those. I'm not suggesting she should do those uh, and go to whichever clinic the insurance company refers her to. I mean, she can ask her doctor for a recommendation, But my point is, you need to follow your doctor's recommendations when it comes to treatment. Because if you don't follow your doctor's recommendations, first, you may not get better. And number two, you may be blamed down the road by the insurance company for uh, not mitigating, not doing what you need to do to get better.
2: One thing I want to pick up on here, though, is there's a distinction between whether or not the doctor approves of the treatment and whether or not they think it's necessary. And what I want to get at, especially when we're talking about occupational therapy, in this particular case, the doctor may take a look at the proposed occupational therapy and say, there's no point in doing this because this person just isn't ready to go back to work. That may well be true, and that's a perfectly valid position to take. But having said that, unless in this particular case, the doctors of the view that this kind of treatment is actually going to set you back, I still think you're probably best served by by doing it. Um, That way, the insurer doesn't have a basis for cutting you off. Unless your doctor is telling you that the treatment that they are proposing is going to set back your recovery, or if the treatment provider is someone that you're not comfortable with, which may well be the case, then I don't think there's a reason not to do it. Um, As much as possible, you want to make sure you comply with any reasonable requests. And in doing so, you just take another reason off of the table for them to cut you off.
1: I completely agree with that. But just remember, the fact that the insurance company says you got to do something does not automatically mean you got to do it. That's the point here. Agreed. Uh,
0: the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred guys. The email is helpitinyourcorner.ca. We'll get the emails here in uh, just a well, while. We got a couple of minutes before we take a break, but we'll come back and get to
1: those emails. Uh, what else you got going on, Savannah? John, we we had a um, a lady contact us. Uh, she she was a director of payroll and benefits at a large company, uh, and she was making uh, well into the six figures. She's fifty nine years old, and she has a recurrence of cancer, non-Hopkins um, uh, lymphoma. And uh, she, she has doctors who have corroborated and have said that she's unable to go back to work. Uh, and despite that, the insurance company, uh, the LTD insurance company, uh, cut her off uh, this September, actually. And what they're saying is that she can do some other job, uh, some kind of a sedentary type of job. In addition to that, her employer, apparently back in April, told her that her position no longer exists and that they're terminating her uh, once she's off LTD, and they're going to give her a severance package. So now we're dealing with somebody who has both an LTD issue because she can't go back to any occupation, according to her doctors, because of her cancer, as well as dealing with an employment issue with her employer. So it's really important to understand that whenever you're dealing with a situation where you have two battles, uh, one with your employer, one with your LTD, Uh, those two are going to have an effect one or the other because if she ends up getting severance from her employer, I mean, leaving aside the fact that she cannot be terminated under Ontario law, the Human Rights Code prohibits a termination of an employee while that employee is under a disability, which clearly she's under. Leaving that aside, uh, any severance she ends up getting will potentially get eaten up by the LTD insurer. The LTD insurer is going to get credit for that. Now, John, we have to go on a break now, but when we come back, I want to return to this because there's a few other things I want to make sure our listeners understand about the issues when uh, y- y- you are terminated while on LTD. You bet.
0: We'll get to that, and we'll, uh, we'll get into those emails. As mentioned off the top, help at inyourcorner.ca, 1-855-821-5900 is the number to reach out to the guys as well. Lots more In Your Corner is on the way on Global News Radio. And welcome back to In Your Corner, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred 855 821 5900 And MyDisabilityQuestions.com is uh, where you want to go, another resource for you to reach out and get a hold of the guys, get some answers right away, even before the... Uh the phone call, I want to move into emails here in just a moment, but back to what we were talking about uh, before the break, Savannah. there's that, uh, as you say, interplay with disability and your
1: uh, and your employer all the time. Well, quite often, right? That's right. In, in fact, that's, that's very often the case. And, and John, uh, we were talking about this lady who contacted us uh, who had a fairly high-end position that was paying six figures. She has a recurrence of cancer. Her doctors are saying she cannot do any occupation at this point. She cannot go back to work. Uh, and at the same time, a few months back, she was let go from her job, and her employer was offering her servant, uh, uh, severance. And you know, one, one of the things I want people to understand is that our, our firm has specific expertise in two main areas of law. One is employment law, so we protect individuals who've been let go, whether they're on disability or not. If you've been let go from your job for any reason... Uh, we can help you. We can, uh, at the very least, advise you on your legal options. But at the same time, we can also help you if you are a disabled employee uh, that has been let go or has uh, issues um, with with your employment. So the reason why this is important is because you can have an employment lawyer out there uh, who, for example, would be helping this lady get her the proper severance But what that employment lawyer may not know, which may prejudice this individual, is that if she ends up getting severance, let's say $50,000 in severance, that may get eaten up by the LTD insurer. Because most LTD policies out there contain provisions that state that to the extent that an individual gets income or severance or anything like that, the insurance company gets a credit for that. So in this lady's case, or other cases that I have seen, Uh, In this case, it hasn't happened. But in other cases I've seen uh, of of, of a similar sort, an individual goes to an employment lawyer. The employment lawyer uh, negotiates a severance. The insurance company gets credit for that, which means the person doesn't end up uh, uh, getting the severance because the LTD insurer simply doesn't pay whatever that severance amount was in LTD benefits. The lawyer got paid. The insurance company got a credit. The individual is left essentially with nothing and is left with a problem with the LTD insurer. So if you are dealing with a disability and you're also dealing with an employment issue, on the other front, we can help you with both.
2: The the really important thing here, though, is this isn't the way it normally plays out. In a typical circumstance, if you are receiving disability benefits, most employers are going to understand that they should not be terminating your employment. Because when they do that with somebody who is on disability, who is suffering from a disability, They expose themselves to additional human rights damages, and they want to avoid that at all costs. And sometimes they can avoid having to pay a severance if they're able to wait long enough and your disability extends for several years. And what that means from a practical standpoint is that in most cases, an employer would be willing to just sit on their hands, essentially – while you're dealing with your disability insurer. So while you're on disability, or even when you're cut off, as long as you're legally challenging that decision, most employers are going to take the position that, okay, you know what, we don't have to do anything about this for now. Let's see how this plays out. And that's really important because what that means is if you're able to get a resolution, a full and final resolution on your disability benefits, and then after that, deal with the employer and get whatever's available for severance, you can potentially keep both, yeah. which means you know a significant amount of additional money, especially if you're a high-income earner, that could be tens of thousands of dollars that you might not otherwise get. And the only way to make sure that you're going to get that is to make sure you're at a firm that deals with both aspects of it. If you go to an employment lawyer and that's all that they do, they're not going to be very happy about waiting a few years to start negotiating on your employment claim. That's just something that's sitting in their filing cabinet, idly collecting dust. That doesn't do any good for them. But if you're at a firm that is dealing with both, they're looking at maximizing, and this is what we do, we look at maximizing the return for the client at each stage and overall.
1: Yeah. John which one, I, I, you know sorry, another
0: benefit of course having the employment law Show and Leor here as well you guys do both at the firm so you got it all covered right
1: We do we do and and there's one more point that I want to make again on the yeah. employment side even though we're here to talk about disability again those two areas there's an interplay between them in 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 quite a few instances an individual may feel that they're a bit better and they may be able to go back to some form of employment with their old employer but the old employer says unless you're 100% okay we're not going to accommodate you So again, then the question becomes, well, who should be paying this individual? The insurance company? I mean, the insurance company is saying, you can go back to work, so go to your employer. But the employer says, unless you're 100%, we're not going to accept you back. Again, you want to make sure that you go to a law firm that specializes in both areas because there is a duty to accommodate on the employer. But you know, sometimes people think that they can do uh, a job with accommodation. And in fact, what often happens is that they can't. They try to do the job with accommodation. Let's say you have an accommodating employer. Uh, the the LTD insurer stops paying you. You try to go back to work. You find that it's unsuccessful. You're still not ready. Your doctors say to you, go back on disability. So you go back to your disability insurer, and you say, put me back on claim, which they should. They should. Most LTD policies contain a recurrence clause. Okay, It, it allows you within a certain period of time to go back on claim without having to wait that initial elimination period, the initial period where you don't get paid anything. But the problem is, John, that most insurance companies, or many of them in my experience, will simply refuse to put the person back on claim. So then the person is stuck. They can't go back on disability. The employer is unable to have them back because the person can't go back. What do they do? Again, this is where we step in. We can help you deal with the employer and your insurance company.
0: Give me some details just before we take a break, pal, about MyDisabilityQuestions.com because I know you've already used it and referred to it this show.
1: That's right. It's a fantastic website, and we've had it in operation for quite a few years. It's a free uh, website tool for people out there who have any questions about long-term disability, whether you are the one who has questions about your own claim or perhaps you have a friend or a colleague or a family member that has a question. Let's say you don't want to call us. For whatever reason, you don't want to pick up the phone and call James or, or myself, you don't want to email us. You just want to have, you know, your answer, uh, your, your, your your question, uh, wh- whatever that question is answered. Go to that website, post the question. You will get an answer within minutes and it's free. And, and chances are, by the way, John, that, you know, given that it's been in operation for quite a few years, there are thousands of questions that I have answered, literally thousands. You can comb through those. You can search them. Chances are your question has been asked and answered.
0: It's MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Check it out We'll we uh, go into a break and get your emails uh, ready as well. That is help at inyourcorner.ca. The number to reach out, one 821 This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. And right back with In Your Corner, the number to get a hold of James, Savannah, or a member of the uh, the team at the firm. Write it down, one 855 821 And uh, email as well, that is an option, help at inyourcorner.ca. That's where we're going, guys, right over to uh, Oliver. Gets the opening call, says, I've been on long-term disability for over a year for Parkinson's, which is getting worse. I'm 52 years old, and I've worked as a school teacher for many years. Recently, my long-term disability insurer said that I should start looking for other work because in about 10 months, my benefits are going to end. I'm not sure I understand why my benefits are going to stop. I can't do any work because of my condition, and my doctors have confirmed this. Can you please tell me what I can do to avoid them cutting me off?
2: Well, Oliver, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is that there's probably nothing that you can do to avoid getting cut off. If they've already made the decision, if an insurance company has decided that they are going to cut off or terminate your benefits, then there's probably little that you are going to do to convince them otherwise, assuming that they already fully understand what your issue is. And since they're already paying you, I would be very surprised if they didn't have your full medical file at this point in time. And so they've come to that decision, and they do that, you know they have a profit motive. They're in business yeah. to make money. And so, if they've made a decision to cut off your benefits, that's a decision that is going to put more money in their pockets. And to get them to change that decision is extremely difficult unless and until you bring a legal claim and you challenge them in a way that doesn't allow them to control the process. And that's what a legal claim does. Now, I told you that there was good news as well. So here's the good news. The good news is they've done you a favor. What I mean by that is they've told you well in advance that their plan is to cut you off 10 months down the road. Which means we can start a claim now. We don't have to wait until the last day of your payment. We can start the claim now. And typically speaking, in most cases, we would either have a resolution or be very close to a resolution by the time they are scheduled to stop making those payments. So if all works out well, and it ought to, if all works out well, you may not be without your benefits for any period of time. And if so, if
1: you are without, it would probably be very, very brief, maybe a matter of weeks. Now, John, I just want to pick up on something that James uh, talked about, which is the yep. fact that um, Oliver was given a heads up 10 months in advance. And one of the uh, favorite topics on the show, I know uh, it's certainly favorite of James's, is, is uh, appeals. Remember, whenever you are denied long-term disability or if you're cut off or going to be cut off, I'm sure this applies to Oliver too, the letter that that tells you Uh, that you've been denied or cut off or will be cut off, usually has a paragraph somewhere in the bottom that invites you to appeal that decision. And I think that what happens with most people, uh, Oliver is clearly not one of those individuals because he contacted us, which is what he ought to have done, which is correct. What other people do is they don't contact us. What they do is they think they can manage the problem on their own. And what they'll do is they'll say, okay, well, I have 10 months to go uh, I'm still going to get you know, my money for the next 10 months, almost a year. I'm going to try this appeal process, not understanding that it's a trap. And the reason is that it's, that it's a trap is because it's an internal process. An appeal has no teeth. It's that simple. All it is is you re-asking the insurance company to reconsider their decision to cut you off. Why would they? Now, I'm not saying that they never change their minds, but I can tell you I can count on one hand how many times I've seen that happen. It's, it's simply not something that is common, and in fact, uh, you know, time and time again, where, when James and I and other lawyers have talked to defense lawyers uh, who, who defend insurance companies, and you know, we would talk about this issue of appeals, you know, there's a general understanding out there within the legal community, at least. I can tell you from my perspective, uh, anecdotally, that everybody understand, uh, understands that it's, it's, it's like a game for the insurance company. They're simply going to tire you out. They're going to try and shake you off claim. So, let's play this through. Let's say someone like Oliver tries this appeal. They get denied within, let's say, two, three months. But guess what? The denial for that appeal is going to come in the form of a letter that has another opportunity presented to you to appeal again. So, you appeal again. John, not a day goes by that I don't see someone contacting me, either by email, by phone, or even by letter. Imagine that. Uh, Where they say, I've appealed two, three, four times, and I've been denied all those times. And guess what? I was denied for the first time almost two years ago. And why am I saying almost two years ago? Because these appeals tend to drag out, and you need to understand that you actually only have two years from the date of the first denial to start a legal claim. Once you pass that deadline, you legally cannot force the insurance company to pay you what you are owed, or at the very least, it's extremely rare to be able to force them to do so. It's really important
2: to understand that during that two years, even if you appeal, even if you appeal five times, the clock does not get reset. From the moment they first tell you that they are going to be cutting off your benefits, even if it's far down the road, even if you appeal, the clock is running. And once two years is up from the day they first tell you, you don't have any further recourse, full stop.
1: Yeah, I mean, not, not, not to mention the fact that, again, if Oliver went through all these appeals, I'm not saying he would, but someone like him would, you know, you're thinking to yourself, you have all this time, you don't have all this time. You simply don't because it's still going to take us a little bit of time to try and resolve your claim once you hire us, right? So it's very important to understand that as soon as you are told you're going to be cut off at some point in the future, that same day you should be contacting us because we're not going to say to you that we have to do something now. All we're going to do is present you with options. At that point, you can decide after you speak with us or after you communicate with us, email, phone, whatever, how you want to proceed. If after speaking with us, you decide that you still want to go through the appeal process, by all means, do it. We're not going to force you not to do it, but at least be armed with the information you need to figure out what the best option is for you and your family.
0: Is there not some sort of issue with them just saying uh, in 10 months you're you're going to be cut off?
1: Uh, well, I mean, from a legal standpoint, we call that anticipatory breach. That's really right. the the legal premise or, or or the legal foundation for how it is that we're going to start the legal claim now, even though they're still paying nice. you. And I remember a few years ago, I was dealing with a, an individual uh, in Ottawa who this was a similar situation. Actually, he was told ten months in advance that he was going to get cut off, and believe it or not, John, we resolved the claim in the eighth month, meaning oh. he was never at a, there was never a period of time okay. where he he didn't have any money coming in, which was yeah. fantastic because. He would not have been able to survive Mm -hmm. had he not had money coming in because of mortgage, kids' expenses, and all that kind of stuff.
0: Guys, we'll move on to uh, Harry. Harry, your email is up next. Thank you for sending that right over. It is help at in your corner. If you want to uh, motor one across to us as well, we'd love to get to that. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and my disability questions. anytime as well to ask your questions as well. More in your corners on the way. Stand by right here, Global News Radio, and lots more in your corner right here. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred to get a hold of the guys and uh, emails is what we're uh, what we're concentrating on this show. It is help at InYourCorner.ca. Guys, next one up, as promised, is from Harry. Harry writes and says, My brother uh, suffers from PTSD because of an assault half a year ago. He was on short-term disability and then applied for long-term on the advice of his doctor, but the insurance company denied him because they say they don't think he is disabled from doing his job. Ironically, he works as an insurance broker and because of his condition, he can't function at the office. We're not sure what he should do. Should he go see a specialist and get a report from that person and then appeal? What do you think?
1: No. uh, Harry, thank you for, for emailing us and I'm sorry about what your brother has gone through. I mean, clearly, John, you can understand how somebody may develop PTSD as a result of an assault. Uh, and, and the fact that he was approved for STD and now he's been denied LTD, despite the fact that the doctor, his doctor who's treating him says that he's disabled from, from doing his job. I mean, again, it's, it's amazing to me when I see these kinds of cases. And over and over, I'm surprised by how insurance companies look at these claims. Uh, certainly, Harry, your brother may want to see a specialist for treatments. But frankly, if his own doctor right now... Uh, is is saying that he's disabled from working, then he would qualify for LTD or he ought to qualify for LTD. And again, this is one of those standard cases, I call it standard in quotes, uh, John, uh, in that insurance companies, I think, oftentimes take a very black and white approach to a case and will just issue these denials uh, just you know, to see if people will simply walk away from money that is rightfully owed to them. I mean, th- this is really what it comes down to. So the most important thing to understand, John, is that if your doctor or doctors are saying that you are disabled, you should qualify and you should get LTD. Now, one of the things that Harry here says that his brother is thinking about doing is appealing that decision after he gets something from a specialist. Again, we talked about appeals. I'm sure James is going to jump in and talk about that even more. People have this inclination and this need to please the insurance company or go and beg the insurance company to reconsider their decision. The insurance company is most likely not going to reconsider their decision. Once they've denied your claim, it's in their system. It simply makes no sense for them to reverse course. And the only way or the best way of forcing them to come to the table and pay you what you are owed is through a legal claim, which is what we do each and every day in our office. When I... Hear this email from Harry. What strikes me is
2: that Harry, like many people in his position, has a fundamental misunderstanding about the relationship and what the motivations are. So Harry's email to me reads as though he believes that if you know just if the insurance company just had the right information, if they just had one more report, then surely they would see the truth of the matter. surely they would understand and do the fair thing. And it's understandable why you would feel that way. And I think most people come to these sorts of things with that mindset. But the truth of the matter is you are dealing with a corporation with a profit motive, and that is driving their behavior. And that kind of misunderstanding we see not just from potential – from people who have been cut off, but we also see from doctors all the time. Doctors will have patients that, are, that get cut off, and they'll be really frustrated because they feel like, how can they possibly cut them off? They just must not understand the medicine behind it. Surely if I just explain it a little better, write one more report, then they'll see, then they'll understand, and the benefits will be reinstated. Unfortunately, that's just not the way it works. Once your insurance company has made a decision to cut you off, unless there is something so fundamentally misunderstood by the insurance company that completely changes their mind and is so obvious that if they didn't reinstate you into benefits, they would be obviously exposed for significant punitive damages, unless it's a situation like that, they're just not going to reinstate you. And by the way, even if it is a situation like that, more often than not, they're still not going to change their mind. They're still not going to uh, approve you on the the appeal. They're going to stay with their decision. And the reason they do it is because they know most people are not going to start a legal claim. And as long as you don't do that, they have complete control over the process and they are going to wind up keeping the money that ought to be yours. You know,
1: John, just to make the point, uh, I've had cases, and I'm sure James has had them too, where once we've gotten involved and started a legal claim, and the insurance company hired a defense lawyer uh, that reassessed the case, that started looking at the case to advise the insurance company on their next steps, uh, I received a phone call, phone calls in many cases, where the defense lawyer uh, you know, sheepishly pretty much says, you know, my client made a mistake. I mean, they don't say it in those words exactly, but they insinuate that and say, well, they would like to reinstate your client or they would like to put your client back on claim. And I'm talking about cases where I actually just, all I've done is issued a a legal claim. I haven't actually gone to any other specialists or doctors. I've used the exact same medical documentation that my client had provided to the insurance company. I mean, what does that tell you? It tells you that once we start a legal claim, now the, the legal screws, so to speak, are put to the insurance company. Now they're starting to bleed money. Why? Because they have to have a defense lawyer that is defending them, and that defense lawyer costs money, whether it's an hourly rate, whether that uh, lawyer is from a firm that bills them monthly, or if it's a lawyer on salary, they don't want to have to expend money on their lawyers. And so once we get them engaged uh, from that standpoint, they, they, they really do try to resolve these claims, and they will often resolve them without us actually even going and getting more documentation. So keep that in mind
2: yeah, I've had that happen to me a few times quite recently, and it seems to be a new way of thinking, um which frankly is correct. Um, you know they realize For them, you mean, yeah, exactly. They yeah. realize that once we've got the legal claim, it's just a matter of how much and how soon. and you might as well cut to the chase now. That's right.
0: The number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the way you reach out in addition to help at in your corner dot ca and mydisabilityquestions.com. dot com. more of the show on the way. We'll get to Pablo's email. After a, a short break. This is In Your Corner on Global News Radio. In Your Corner continues to get a hold of James Savan. It's 1-855-821-5900. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. And we're covering off emails on today's show. That is help at InYourCorner.ca. Pablo, up next, Pablo says a friend of mine came from a country that had a civil war many years ago. Listen to the rest of this one, guys. says, uh, we became friends at work at the company we worked for for the last five years. He still has flashbacks of the war. Two of his family members were killed there. He's recently gotten worse, and he sees a psychologist regularly who told him that he should stop working for now and focus on getting better. The problem is that my friend applied for long-term disability and was denied by the insurance company because they say that he's not totally disabled. We'll put that in air quotes. My friend just wants to let it go and, and just quit his job. I want to help him, which is why I'm contacting you. What can he do?
2: Well, the what can he do is, is bring a legal claim. I really want to address part of this where he says that he just wants to let it go and quit his job. I get that. I understand that way of thinking, especially when you were talking about someone who has significant mental health issues. He's dealing with PTSD, and based on this description from Pablo, his friend has been through a lot, more than most people would ever even imagine going through. So it's not surprising that there are effects of that down the road that he's suffering from. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to you know, be able to fully understand what that means and how it impacts him. But if his doctors are telling me he can't work, he can't work. And that means he's entitled to benefits. But what happens, especially what we see with people who have significant mental health issues, is that they are particularly vulnerable. And that's something insurance companies really don't mind preying upon. They know that people who are suffering with exactly the type of issues that Pablo's friend is suffering from are less likely to fight back when they are improperly denied. They just don't have the mental fortitude to cope with dealing not only with their own, their own issues, but also deal with this large insurance company that is often bullying them and making decisions that don't really seem to make any sense. And so it's easy to just say, you know what? I can't deal with that anymore. I don't wanna deal with this insurance company. I'm just gonna focus on trying to get better. That seems like an easier path, but here's the thing down the road what that means is you know you are going to be living without an income for months maybe even years that you ought to be entitled to while you are trying to get better and if your concern if you're someone in this situation if you're Pablo's friend or anybody else in a similar situation and your concern is yeah but I don't want to start this legal claim and be involved in this litigation for years on end and have it have a huge impact on your life the exact opposite is true that's not something you have to concern yourself with What I mean by that, as soon as we are retained, as soon as we meet with the client, sign the retainer agreement, all of a sudden everything having to do with the insurance company is off of your shoulders and on ours. From a practical standpoint, that means you will never get mail directly from the insurance company, you're going to stop getting those phone calls from the adjuster. All of that is done through our office. The amount of time that you're going to have to spend in the legal claim is quite minimal and you'll have a lot of advance notice and preparation and we're going to be beside you every step of the way. But the reality is from the moment you sign the retainer, your focus is not going to be on the legal claim anymore. Your focus is going to be on doing what you need to do to get better. What your doctors have told you you need to do in terms of treatment and recovery, that is the
1: entire extent of your focus from the moment you sign the retainer. The other thing I want to mention, John, and again I know we've spoken about this before, but I want to reiterate: when you get us to fight the insurance company on your behalf, you're not paying us anything upfront. In other words, we get a contingency, and that's imp- that's important to understand. It means that you know th- there is no hardship on you in terms of having to to get invoices monthly from us and have to worry about paying us. No, nothing, none of that. Remember, when you come to us, you come to us because the insurance company is not paying you anything. Our job is to force the insurance company to pay you what they owe you by law. And when we get them to do that and maximize whatever we can get them to do that, only after the money comes from the insurance company do we actually get paid. So again, that's a huge uh, relief for a lot of individuals, John. So not only do you not pay anything for us to fight on your behalf and to put all of our firm's resources behind you to go up against the insurance company and force them to pay, which again, we do every single day here. Uh, In addition to that, as James put it, we are the ones dealing with the insurance company. You don't have to deal with them. Take any calls, letters, emails, nothing. You simply focus on your recovery. That is a huge, huge thing, John.
0: And I guess, you know, based on that structure, the contingency structure, it's like you're not just going to take any case, you're only going to work with the ones that are actually going to be good for the person coming to you. So it makes sense, right? I mean, if it if it's worth you going after, then there's going to be something at the end of it.
2: Yeah, that's a significant part of our process. When we have someone contact us, we'll sit down with them and figure out whether or not we can help them. And you know, we have people that will write to us or call to us and they're, you know, angry. They're like, "Well, why are you helping all these people that are trying to scam the system?" Here's what I'll tell you. First of all, it's my experience that very few people that are involved in this type of thing are, in fact, doing it from that perspective or trying to take advantage of the system. but. The reality is every now and then you'll come across someone who it just doesn't add up. It just, you know, you, your spidey senses are tingling and you're thinking, hmm, I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, you know, what we're going to do in those situations, in any situations, we're going to take a look at the medical documents. And if there isn't medical support that this person cannot work, we're not going to start a claim. It doesn't make any sense for us to get involved in litigation that involves someone who is untrustworthy or who doesn't have a solid basis because we work on a contingency. Even if we were inclined to do that, if we work on a contingency, which we do in all cases, then we're not going to get paid unless it's successful. I can assure you, insurance companies don't pay
1: out fake claims. And by the way, when we're talking about taking advantage of the system, how about the insurance companies taking advantage of vulnerable individuals each and every day? I mean, talk about taking advantage of the system. I mean, that, that's, that's what makes me really angry when I see people literally walking away from money that is owed to them. Highlight the word owed. It's owed to them. And how do I know it's owed? Because I'm telling you that when I assess your case and the insurance company owes you this money, six months down the road when we go to a mediation and they pay you the two or three or four or $500,000 that they owe you, they're not doing this out of charity. It's because we force them to pay you.
0: 1-855-821-5900 right there. And the email is help at inyourcorner.ca. Mydisabilityquestions.com is another resource for you to use any time. Uh, Raj, your email is up next as we get to more In Your Corner right here on Global News Radio. In Your Corner continues. The number 1-855-821-5900. And help at inyourcorner.ca is the email address. I think we got time for a couple more of these guys, so let's get to... Let's get right to it. Raj email says, in January this past year, my father, who's 58, slipped on ice outside a movie theater near our home. He fell on his back and broke a vertebrae. He's been walking with a walker now and needs a lot of help at home. He was completely independent before and worked at a department store as a salesperson. He hasn't been able to go back to work and likely won't, according to his doctors. Is the movie theater or landlord responsible for this? We've been trying to deal with the insurance company for the property for uh, quite a few months. And uh, now we're we're getting nowhere. They keep asking for more and more medical documents, and they're blaming the uh, the winter maintenance contractor. What do we do?
2: Well, it's pretty straightforward. You want to bring a legal claim, and you want to challenge them. Yeah. So the issue with this winter maintenance contractor. Let's back up a little bit here. So we're talking about a an accident that happened presumably outside. If we're dealing with winter maintenance, a slip and fall on ice. In most cases, the people that own property, if it's large enough, are going to hire a contractor in order to deal with the maintenance of that property. So when you bring a legal claim against the owner of the property where there is a slip and fall, you're typically also going to want to name as a defendant whoever they hired for winter maintenance. And you do that so you make sure that when you go through this litigation, whoever it is that might be responsible for the fall is going to be there. So that's, that's the only thing that's happening with the winter maintenance contractor. But don't worry about that so much. The critical thing is you want to start a legal claim. You've been dealing with the adjuster, and you know that's really going to get you nowhere. If they make you an offer, which they may well do, it's going to be a lowball offer. It's going to be something that they think maybe they'll get away with. Maybe this guy isn't going to talk to a lawyer, and we're going to be able to get away with paying 10 cents on the dollar. And that happens all the time. So what they're really doing is they're stringing you along and hoping that you get so desperate that you're going to take whatever low ball offer they're going to they're going to put forward. So you don't want to do that. Give us a call. We're more than happy to discuss the details of the claim in in this kind of situation. A few other things that we should talk about here. When we're dealing with a slip and fall injury or frankly a motor vehicle accident as well too, it's really important if you have the wherewithal to take photographs Now, obviously, depending on the extent of your injury, you may not be able to do that. And if you're getting acute treatment, I'm not suggesting that you should be focused on that. But if you're able to take photographs, and if you're not, if you can get somebody else to do it, do so. And do so as soon as possible, especially when we're dealing with slips and falls in the winter Because one of the critical things that has to be determined is what was the state of that particular area where you were walking at the precise time when you were there? And if, let's say, you know, there was ice on the ground, they hadn't applied enough salt or any salt at all. Well, guess what? If you slip and fall, someone's going to be notified. And within 5 or 10 minutes, they're going to have someone out there applying salt. So if you go back an hour later or two hours later, more than likely it's not going to look like it did at the time mm-hmm. when you fell. Now, you might be able to establish that they went back and did it, but it's much better if you're able to get a photograph showing exactly what it looked like at the time. So if this happens, first you know, you want to make sure that you're in no imminent danger. And then if you are able to, Take photographs of the scene or ask someone nearby to do so and send them to you so you
1: have them down the road. John, there are so many issues to unpack here. Uh, Let me just touch on a few things that James uh, hasn't because he's focused on a lot of very, very very, very important points, but there's a few others. Number one, I want to touch on something he said initially, actually, about uh, dealing with the adjuster. Be very, very careful in a case like this in dealing with a field adjuster. These guys are professionals. They know what they're doing and oftentimes they'll ask you to sign a statement. They'll take the information from you, uh, they'll write it down and they'll get you to sign it. And the way they phrase certain things may then prejudice you down the road if in fact you come to us later when your negotiations with them uh, don't bear fruit and we'll look at the statement and we'll say, well, you know what you said here and signed is not helping you. In fact, it's probably hurting your case or has hurt your case. So that's number one. Be very careful of dealing directly with these field adjusters. Certainly, do not sign any statements. Secondly, when we're dealing with an injury like this 58 years old, you know, y- you have a broken back, damages are going to be significant here. And when I'm saying I'm talking about damages, I'm talking about uh, compensation for pain and suffering, I'm talking about income loss because he can't work, I'm talking about other types of things out of pocket expenses, treatments. What about the family members who are now helping this individual? Right? I mean, this is Raj who's, who, who's uh, uh, talking about his father. Perhaps it's Raj, perhaps it's Raj's uh, wife, sister, whoever it is that's helping him. Under Ontario law, family members, uh, under the Family Law Act, they're entitled to compensation as well for services that they've rendered this injured individual. So, again, you want to make sure that all categories of compensation are accounted for. You know, and John, when I used to be a defense lawyer many, many years ago, and I would defend these kinds of claims from lawyers like myself and like James, I would come across lawyers who undersold their clients' cases. I remember one specific case, a similar case to this one, very, very similar on the facts, where I valued that case at five to $600,000. That's how much I thought the, 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 my client, the insurance company, ought to have paid. We settled that claim for $150,000 Wow! because the lawyer on the other side simply did not advance the case the way that he should have. I mean, can you just imagine how much money his client lost and his client's not even aware of how much money they've lost. So you have to be very, very careful. That's why we tell people, if this happens, come to us, call us, email us. We're not going to force you to do anything. But at least we'll take a look at your case, take a look at all the documents, take a look at any pictures you have or videos, tell you what we think about your case, give you all the options, and then you and your family will make an informed choice and a decision on how to proceed.
0: Guys, some good stuff today. We're going to uh, leave it for there. A few different ways to reach out, get a hold of James and Savannah, hook up with someone else on their team as well. As the uh, email address is up first, we've been pulling from all day. That is help at inyourcorner.ca. You can write them anytime. Mydisabilityquestions.com. That is a place for you to uh, ask your questions. been around for several years, so there is a good... Uh, a good many questions that have been asked and answered in depth. Possibly yours is there. You can search those or leave one. And uh, Savannah James, will answer it uh, fairly quickly, as we've been mentioning. And finally, the phone number anytime toll free one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Till next time, this is in your corner on Global News Radio.